might be a little uncomfortable, but we're doing a good job. Good, good. How y'all doing? Good. I'm doing fantastic. My vacation starts in about an hour, so. <laughs> however, however, this is not a throwaway message. I'm not just like, ah, I'm out of here. Um, in fact, uh, I really, uh, really feel like uh, if, I really feel like the enemy doesn't want us to get this message. Like he absolutely does not want you to hear, lock into what God has for us today. Um, because if we get it, wow, we will be, we will, we will see heaven unleashed. So, um, I want to pray to get started. I want to pray against any deceiving or distracting spirits that might want to keep us today from receiving what God has for us. And I want to pray for our sister Suzanne Obey, who went to the hospital yesterday with high blood pressure and want to lift her up to the Lord. So I haven't gotten any updates on her, but uh, I know the Lord's at work there. So God, we thank you that you are here. Thank you that you have a plan and a purpose for us today, that you have, uh, God, you've already spoken to us and touched our lives in so many ways already this morning. But God, I believe you want to speak something to us now that will be equipping and strengthening for us. God, I pray that, uh, that you would just be present to, for us, each one of us, to grab what we need to grab this morning from your word. And in the name of Jesus, I take authority over any distracting or deceiving spirit that would try to, to stop your word from settling in our hearts. And I command it in the authority of the name of Jesus to go. And God, we just receive right now your truth. God, we lift up Suzanne. What a precious lady. And we lift her up to you, asking God that you would touch her. Whatever's going on in her life right now, whatever's going on in her body, we pray for healing and restoration. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. There it is. Looking for my remote. <laughs> Don't you wish I had a remote? <laughs> Don't you wish? It's okay. I wish to that, you know. Cool, cool. All right. So we are in. Uh, we've been. We've been. Uh, for a few weeks before last week, uh, in a series talking about living in Babylon. And we concluded that series, but since then, I, I really feel like there's some, some loose ends that we need to, to touch on. Um, we, we talked about how, um, you know, we as individuals are to be light in the darkness, that we're um, that, that God has sent us into the world to make a difference in Babylon, in a world that doesn't know God and is even hostile to God. But 
um, I felt like we didn't adequately answer the question, where does the church fit in God's plan for the world right now? And I think that's a really important question to talk about. So, we're going to go to a fairly familiar passage, Matthew 16, verses 13 to 20. Um, and in this, just before this passage starts, Jesus is talking to his disciples, his, his closest uh, students, right? And he, he says to them, um, be careful and be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, to, to our 21st century North American ears, that's just gobbledygook, right? What's yeast? What, who are Sadducees? Who are Pharisees? What's he talking about? Be, in fact, the disciples didn't even get it. They're like, oh, he means we forgot to bring bread. Right? And they completely missed what he was saying. But he, he was saying, be on your guard against the yeast. Yeast is something that is, uh, for, for good or bad, can work its way through the bread. Right, like it, it's, it's active and uh, whatever, if it's positive, it spreads positivity. If it's negative, it spreads negativity. Right, And, and so Jesus uses the, the picture of yeast both ways in different parts of the Gospels. But he says, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So Jesus is calling into question everything about the religious systems of the Jewish people. Everything. The, the, the Pharisees were leaders in the synagogue system, the, the rabbinical system, where people were, were learning, um, you know, the Pharisees taught them how to religiously obey all the laws of God. The Sadducees were primarily the priests in the temple. Most of the priests in the temple were Sadducees. It's like two different denominations of Jews. And, and so the, the, the Sadducees were focused on the the temple and the sacrifices. And so the Pharisees are saying, you've got you've to keep all these rules to be good enough for God. And the, and the Sadducees are saying, you've got to do all these sacrifices to be good enough for God. And Jesus says, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Beware of getting caught up in this religious system that keeps you bound to fear and guilt and control Instead of walking in what God intended for you to walk in. And so in the context of that, right out of that, Jesus takes his disciples on a retreat. And oddly enough, he takes them into pagan Gentile territory. He, he goes to the north of Israel to a place called Caesarea Philippi. It was a, it was a, a Greek town primarily Greek town. There were probably some Jews there as well, but it was primarily a Greek town. Um, and he takes them to a location just outside of the city of Caesarea Philippi to a place that was called the Gates of Hades. The locals literally believed that this was one of the gates 
that you could access the, the abode of the dead, the underworld. And they actually, I've been there, and, and there, are, there are carvings in the wall where they used to have uh, statues, idols of the god Pan. And, and they would make sacrifices in this cave to the gods of the underworld. And, uh, and so Jesus take the, takes them to this place. So let's read verses 13 to 20. Uh, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Speaking of himself. They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, some others, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. What about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah or the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah or the Christ. So Jesus takes his disciples on this, on this getaway, on this retreat. And he asks this question, who do people say the Son of Man is? Why did Jesus ask this question? Because he wasn't he wasn't just trolling for compliments. He wasn't checking the likes on his social media account. Social media is engineered to play into our social addictions, our need for people to like us. Jesus was not looking at his likes. He understood that if his disciples did not have a right perception of who the Christ was, of who the Messiah was, they would not have a right perception of the mission that he was going to send them on and what his kingdom was all about. If they didn't understand who he was, they wouldn't understand the kingdom and the mission. And so when Jesus asks this question, who do people say the Son of Man is, they give four wrong answers right? Some say John the Baptist. Well, this was Jesus' haters. We actually know from two chapters before that the person who was saying this is, that, this was John, that Jesus was John the Baptist was Herod Antipas, who had had John the Baptist put to death. And in, chapter, in, in, in Matthew chapter 14, when Herod hears about Jesus doing miracles, he freaks out and he says, it's John the Baptist come back from the dead to haunt me. Right? Others say Elijah. Many of the people 
most of the people who were waiting for the Messiah to come were waiting for a military leader that would kick the Italians out of Palestine and, and give the Jews power. And, and there had been prophecies said that Elijah would come before the Messiah comes. And so these people were saying, oh, that guy's not the Messiah. He's just the guy getting ready for the Messiah. Because he doesn't look like we thought the Messiah would look like. Right? Others said Jeremiah. There was, there was a legend that Jeremiah would also come before the Messiah and that he would, he would reveal the hidden location of the Ark of the Covenant because the le legend said that Jeremiah had hid it. That he would reveal the location of the Ark of the Covenant and it would help to bring, again, the Jewish people to prominence and dominance on the earth. And still others say, you're one of the prophets or you're like one of the prophets. You're, you're just a good teacher, Jesus. What are some of the ways that our culture today, because... Some of, uh, some of our culture and some even in the church, I think, have misunderstandings of who Jesus really is. What are some of those misunderstandings? Well, one of the things we're hearing in the last month and a half is that Jesus is a colonialist, that his movement is about bringing European culture and dominating cultures around the world. And absolutely, there have been Christian religious movements that have been colonial. Absolutely. And absolutely, there have been religious movements that has, have misrepresented who Jesus is. But folks, Jesus is not a colonialist. He's not about one culture. He's about the culture of heaven coming to earth. And if he wants to colonize anything, it's planet earth with the goodness and the, and the glory of God. Some think that Jesus is a means to political power. If you, if you talk to someone in the United States and you say the word evangelical, what that means to them is a political voting block. Some think that Jesus is just a a wise man or prophet that founded the Christian religion. Jesus didn't found any religion. His goal when he came to this earth was not to start another religion. Not, he's not in competition with Buddha or Muhammad or any other religious uh, leader. Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the glorious Son of God. And he didn't come to start a religion. And still others say that Jesus is just a moral, a good moral teacher, that you could take it or leave it. If you like what he has to say, yeah, yeah Jesus is like Gandhi or Martin Luther King or Oprah or whoever, right? He's just, he's just got some things to say, and if you like it, take it. If you don't, leave it. And if we don't get who Jesus is right, we will not understand his kingdom. We will not understand our mission. 
And that's why at this crucial juncture in Jesus' ministry, he takes his disciples on a retreat because they need to get it. They need to know who is this Jesus. And and so Jesus says, okay, that's what everyone else says, but who do you say I am? And, And Peter rings the bell, right? He gets it right. He answers the question, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus is not just another historical figure. He is the person, the person around whom all of history bends. He is the one who changed everything. He is God the Creator who stepped out of heaven, stepped into this world, and became one of us because He was motivated by the love of God to reach us with the hope of heaven. And Peter was saying, even though you don't fit any of our pre-assumptions of what the Messiah would look like, we trust you. We trust you more than our expectations. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus recognizes right there that that Simon just had a God moment. Right? That there's no way that he could could have figured this out. But that God had revealed to him who Jesus is. See, that's how we come to Christ. Christ. You will never successfully argue someone into the kingdom. You may wear them down with your persistence and get them to pray a prayer. But in order to cross over from darkness to light, from the kingdoms of this world to the kingdom of God, we need a revelation of who Jesus is. And if you can argue someone in, they can be argued out. But when we have a, a revelation of who Jesus is, that is our anchor for the rest of our life. So Jesus says, Simon, God has showed this to you. Uh, you are Peter, and on this rock... I will build my church. Now, just a quick note. Jesus wasn't saying the church was going to be built on Peter. Okay? There are people who say that. I know that. Uh, Yeah. Tick tock, tick tock. Okay. Got to watch my time here this morning. But, but, uh, it's actually, it's, it's actually not, there is no evidence in history anywhere that Peter was preeminent in the early church. So those who say that Peter was the rock that the whole church is built on just are not even historically accurate or aware. When we look in the book of Acts, 
Who was the one who presided over the church in Jerusalem? It was James. It wasn't Peter. And there, there are, you know, legend says that Peter was the, the bishop of the church in Rome, and that's why he was so important. There is actually absolutely zero evidence. And maybe he was, but there is no historical evidence to base, on, base it on other than legend that Peter was the bishop of the church in Rome. Um, so that's not what Jesus was talking about here. But the confession that came out of Peter's mouth is what the church would be built on. So, so, this word church, Jesus didn't speak English. He didn't even speak King James English. So, the word church for us has so much baggage, I'm going to use that word, it's not necessarily negative baggage, but so much meaning behind it. When, we, when you say the word church, we have all these things that we think of that, oh, that's what Jesus meant. And I want to suggest to you this morning that when Jesus said, I will build my church, he probably was not talking about what you think he was talking about. So can we take the word church, just pack it up for, for the next 15, 20 minutes, take the word church and put it on a shelf and use the word that's actually in the Greek language that the gospel was written in. Jesus said, on this rock I will build my ecclesia. Everybody say ecclesia. Okay? I will build my ecclesia, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Okay? Let's, let's just look at this for a minute. It's, this is where the enemy doesn't want you to get this. Okay? So, so lean in. Because the enemy would love for you to stay thinking that Jesus came to build a religious organization. And he didn't. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with religious organizations necessarily, but that's not what Jesus came to build. Um, so, <clears throat> what was Jesus building? He certainly wasn't talking about a church building because there weren't even church buildings for almost the first 300 years of Christian history. There were no church buildings. The church was being persecuted and they met in people's homes. They met in secret places. They met all over the place, but they didn't have church buildings. So that's not what Jesus was talking about. Ecclesia means assembly or gathering that is called out or called together. Okay? Ecclesia was not a term that had ever been used in a religious sense before Jesus used it on that day. It had never been used that way. Um, 
there was already, if Jesus meant, I will build my religious gathering, there was another word, a synonym of ecclesia that Jesus could have used that was already in use in the Jewish religious culture. And it was the word synagogue, from which we get the word synagogue. And that word means called together. And if Jesus wanted to say, I will build my religious organization, he would have, in, in competition with these other synagogues, you know, the Pharisees have their synagogue, the Sadducees have their synagogue, well, I'm going to build my synagogue. Jesus did not say that. It was right there. He could have used it, and he didn't. So what did he mean when he said, I will build my ecclesia? The most common reference to ecclesia before Jesus used it on that day in that place was in, in Greek history in cities like Athens. That hundreds of years before Jesus said those words had experimented with democracy. And particularly in the city of Athens, when a decision needed to be made, the city elders would call together all of the male citizens over 20 years of age, sorry ladies, all of the male citizens over 20 years of age, and, that, and they would meet in the city square to make major decisions, and that was called an ecclesia. They were called out of the city to make decisions for the city. Okay? So that's a whole different thing than comes to mind when Jesus says, when we hear, I will build my church. I have often heard people preach about ecclesia and they have emphasized the meaning of being called out, which it does mean. And they have said that we are called to come out of the world and be separate. And they've used this to promote a hunker-in-the-bunker mentality of we just need to turn our backs on Babylon and let it go to hell and do our Jesus thing. And it's ended up sometimes in the church being so isolated from the world that they have no influence or impact on the world. But in Jesus, we've talked about this in the Living in Babylon series, in Jesus', Jesus prayer in John 17... He says, I have not called them out of the world. I've sent them into the world. Right? And so if we follow the original intention of the word ecclesia, the gathering in those Greek city-states was not for the ecclesia to be called out of the city to be separate or leave the city, but it was to be called out of the city for the sake of the city. To be called out of the city to make legal decisions that would impact the city for the good. Right? 
And in the same way, we are not called out to be cut off from our city, but called out to act on behalf of our city. To bring the kingdom of Jesus into the lives of people that we care about all around us. People that are in darkness that we see every day. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said that we are the light of the world. And he said that we are like a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. Right? And it, it, if you approach a city at nighttime, you know you're approaching a city. Right? And, and Jesus said we are, we are to be a city within the city, a community within the community for the sake of the community. We are to be the light in a dark place. Jesus never intended to start a secret club, but he wanted to turn the world upside down. So why do we go to Edgewood community down the street with backyard kids? Because God loves every family and every child there as much as he loves those sitting here. As much as he loves those that are watching online this morning. Why, why does Evangel go into the skate park and open up the washrooms and sell chocolate bars and Gatorade? What a crazy thing for a church to do. Why do we do that? Because God loves every adult, every teen, every child who shows up there with an everlasting love. And it is criminal if they don't have a chance to hear that God loves them. Now we're not there standing on the quarter pipe preaching the gospel, but we're there loving them. And just three days ago, two teenagers walked into the shop, looked at each other, and then turned to Jim and said, we got to ask you a question. Why are you doing this? And Jim had an amazing opportunity to talk to them about God's love for our city and God's love for them. The love of God for our city compels us to come together for the sake of our city. What, what we need to know is what is God up to in our city and how can we come together and align ourselves with heaven's plans and purpose so that we can be part of the solution, part of the transformation That brings us to the next thing that Jesus says. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, or actually more accurately, according to the Greek verb tense, what you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven, 
and what you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. In other words, what heaven has bound, we have authority to bind here. What heaven has loosed, we have authority to loose here. The purpose of the ecclesia is not just to come together on Sunday mornings and have a good kumbaya. And I'm not mocking what we do here. I'm just saying it's not just about us having a nice feeling when we come in and when we go out. What we do here is vital, but it's not about us. Let's not let the enemy rob us of what we're hearing here right now. The purpose for us gathering is to be transformed by the teachings of God's Word, to be transformed by encountering the presence of God so that our lives are changed So that rather than being aligned with the world, our lives are aligned with heaven. Because the more we are like the world, the less we have to offer them. And the more we are aligned to heaven, the more that we have to give and to bring. The more that we are aligned with heaven and with each other in unity, the more authority, the more of heaven's authority that we carry. Your kingdom come, your will be done is not a nursery rhyme. It is a powerful declaration that is intended to bring heaven's culture into earth's atmosphere. And that our city would literally be changed and transformed because heaven comes. So how do we know what heaven has already bound and what heaven has already loosed so that we can bind it and loose it is the next question. Well, some things we know from Scripture, there are some things that are really clear. What God wants on planet Earth. But there are also some things that we need to hear from the Lord that are specific for a region. That is what the gift of prophecy is for. The spiritual gift of prophecy is to hear the heart of God so that we can speak the heart of God. To hear what heaven is up to. What is God declaring in the council of heaven so that we can declare it in the atmosphere of earth? That's why in every prayer meeting we have here at Evangel, we stop at some point in the prayer meeting and ask, what is God saying? Because we really believe that God will talk to us about our city. 
We really believe he will talk to us about alignment issues in our church so that we can be aligned with heaven and deal with any things that are out of sync in the, in the unity of the body. Okay, so we, we hear from heaven. How then do we bind on earth and loose on earth the purposes of God? How do we do that? Well, we're almost done. Hang in there. Two chapters later, in Matthew 18, Jesus uses the exact same phrase again. Matthew 18, verse 18, he says, Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven, according to the Greek verb tense again, and whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. That verse is not a verse to comfort you when only two people show up at church. That's how we sometimes use that verse, right? Oh, there's only five people here. Well, wherever two or three are gathered, Jesus must be here somewhere. That's not what that verse is about. It's when there is so much power in unity when two or three followers of Jesus gather to hear heaven and declare heaven's purposes. There is so much authority in that that it actually changes the atmosphere. It actually brings heaven to earth. And things actually can be bound. And things actually can be loosed. Folks, God's purpose for evangel is not... I start vacation in like five minutes. I could have just done a nice (laughs) devotional today, you know? All fired up. Look, you got me all fired up. God's purpose is not that we would just have nice worship services, but that we would come together, align ourselves with heaven, and begin to declare into the, into the earthlies what the heavenlies have already said is the purpose and plan of God. That's awesome. In the most literal meaning of that word. It is awesome that God wants to partner with us. It's awe-inspiring. So, the ecclesia, I'm going to get you to stand. The ecclesia is the family of God on earth which has the right and the responsibility to bring God's kingdom, God's rule, and the culture of heaven into our workplaces, into our hobby clubs, into our neighborhoods, into our city. 
And we need to ask the question, what would it look like if heaven showed up here? What would that look like? And then begin, no, I mean, in, in your neighborhood, in your, in your coffee club that meets at Tim Hortons at 7 o'clock in the morning, you retired people, or 9 o'clock. What would it look like if heaven showed up in your neighborhood? What would that look like? And then begin to pray and declare and live towards that. Because that is the point. That's the purpose of the ecclesia. That is our mission, folks. Jesus. I want to pray. And then I, would just, I want to leave you with a blessing. I want to speak a blessing over you today before we, before we leave. God, I thank you. Thank you for your immense love for our city. God, we confess that sometimes we, we get caught up in the, the leaven, the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Sometimes we get caught up thinking we're the ones you love. So it's, it's good enough if we just come together. But God, I thank you that you love every person in this city. You love the ones in the crack houses. You love the ones in, that, that God are, are trapped in addictions. You love the ones That are, that are just lost in depression and confusion and brokenness. You love the ones whose families are a mess. You love the ones who have money and stuff and they think that's all they need. Just as much as you love us. God, I thank you that you have strategically placed us in neighbors, neighborhoods and workplaces and schools and and in places, God, where we can be the kingdom of God present to those places. And you've partnered with us in ways that we actually get to bind things up that the enemy is doing and loose heaven upon places that need heaven. It's so amazing, and we thank you God, I pray that you would adjust us and change us from this religious mindset that we get stuck in. That we would actually understand that you want to change this world through us. Do it with us. Don't, don't step over us, God. Don't pass us by. Because we want to be those that you that you that you partner with in Jesus name we pray just receive this blessing from the lord this morning as we go in the name of jesus christ i bless you with the promises of god which are yes and amen 
the Holy Spirit make you healthy and strong in body, mind, and spirit to move in faith and expectancy. May God's angels be with you to protect you and keep you. Be blessed with supernatural strength to turn your eyes from foolish, worthless, and evil things. Instead, may you behold the beauty of things that God has planned for you as you obey His Word. I bless your ears to hear the lovely, the uplifting, and the encouraging, and to shut out the demeaning and the negative. May your feet walk in holiness and your steps be ordered by the Lord. May your hands be tender, helping hands to those in need, hands that bless. May your heart be humble and receptive to one another and to the things of God and not to the world. May your mind be strong, disciplined, balanced, and faith-filled. God's grace be upon your home that it may be a sanctuary of rest and renewal, a haven of peace where sounds of joy and laughter grace its walls, where love and unconditional acceptance of one another is consistent. God give you success and prosperity in your business and places of labor as you acknowledge and obey the imperative of Scripture concerning the tithe. God give you spiritual strength to overcome the evil one and avoid temptation. God's grace be upon you to fulfill your dreams and visions. May goodness and mercy follow you all the days of your long life. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you His peace. I bless you in the name of Jesus. Amen.